Today's episode is sponsored by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Please stay tuned after Fifth Emission for their after show. I'm Cecilia Lay, and this is Fifth Emission. The week after the state reopened, after I allowed myself to re-enter indoor public spaces unmasked, I started getting the sniffles. It turned out to be more. It was a positive COVID case. I became the only person I knew that had a breakthrough infection, that is, getting COVID while being fully vaccinated. It felt like a rarity at first, but now, six weeks later, it's clear that I'm no longer alone. Despite having one of the highest vaccination rates in the country, the San Francisco Bay Area is in the midst of a new surge. And thanks to the Delta variant, the public health precautions many of us had so eagerly shelved are now back on the table. Indoor mask mandates have returned to seven Bay Area counties. Major cities across the country are considering requiring proof of vaccination before entering indoor businesses. New York's already made that call. And to date, there have been more than 20,000 breakthrough COVID cases in the state of California. Now, to be clear, that's out of over nearly 21 million fully vaccinated people. So it's a very small percentage, but there's enough evidence to show that breakthrough cases are a significant consideration. Here to help explain why is the chair of UCSF's Department of Medicine, Dr. Bob Wachter. He has been a national voice of reason throughout the pandemic for many of us. And he joins me now to talk about what breakthrough cases mean, why the Delta variant is a game changer, and how we should consider the latest shifting public health guidance of this past week. Dr. Wachter, thank you so much for being here on Fifth and Mission. My pleasure. I thought we were kind of done with this, but uh, the virus is not done with us. There's still a lot to talk about. Yeah. So the big headline right now in the Bay Area is that San Francisco and other counties have just remandated masks indoors in public places. Why was that the right call, even for vaccinated people? Yeah, unfortunately, the the world as we knew it two months ago, where the cases were very, very low in the Bay Area, and we were getting to rates of vaccination that we thought might be associated with local herd immunity, uh, none of those rules hold anymore. And it's all because of the Delta variant, which people now have heard a lot about. It's just better at its job than the old virus was. And so the protection afforded by vaccination is not quite as good as it was. There is emerging evidence that seems pretty credible that vaccinated people can catch the virus, have a mild case, maybe even an asymptomatic case, and spread it to others. I, you know, about six weeks ago, I started, I'd gotten a little bit sloppy, but I started wearing my mask again going inside because A, I didn't still don't want to get COVID, even as a vaccinated person. I felt like there are going to be breakthrough cases and you can feel crummy and there's some probability that you may go on and have symptoms for many weeks. But B, I also felt, particularly now that we know that a, a vaccinated person can catch the virus and spread it to someone else, I didn't want to be part of that chain. If I came in contact with an older person or an immunocompromised person or a kid who wasn't vaccinated. So I think for all those reasons, it's the right thing to do. And recently, you tweeted that using the word rare in describing breakthrough infections by media and government officials may be problematic. Can you explain why? Yeah, I think they're using it in part to try to reassure people. The problem with using the term rare, my definition of rare is, you know, a shark attack or, or mm -hmm. you know, being struck by lightning. I don't think 
breakthrough cases now are rare. And I think that most people now know folks that have had a breakthrough case, may have had a family member at a breakthrough case, hear about a senator who had a breakthrough case. I think there are enough cases out there that calling them the rare creates a credibility gap. If somebody's telling you it's rare and you're seeing it all over the place, in your mind, you begin losing trust for the source of the information. So I think we can, I think the public can hold on to this, that your chances of having a, a case is much, much lower if you're vaccinated. Chances of getting mm -hmm. sick and dying are, are, are massively lower. But there are breakthrough cases, and particularly as the prevalence of COVID in our community goes up, meaning you're going to be more likely to be exposed to COVID than you were a month or two ago. If the vaccines are working 85% efficacy, which is, it looks like where they are now, they're down a little bit since Delta came about, then you're going to see a, you know, a modest but real number of breakthrough cases that does not meet my definition of rare. So breakthrough cases are not as rare as we think. And the good news is that vaccines are working. Are there other things that you're learning now that make you feel optimistic? Yeah, I, I am. I am less optimistic than I was. And I'm an optimistic person by nature. But but the last couple of months have been a bummer. Uh, be, in part because it's uh, you know it, it feels like we're we we were in such a different place two months ago and looked like we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. So part of this is just right. being sort of drawn back into the battle, and nobody likes that. the The good news is in the Bay Area, our vaccination rate is extremely high. It's not as high as it needs to be with Delta, but it's extremely high, and that will protect us against having a massive hospitals filled, need to cancel surgery kind of surge the way they're having now in Florida and in Texas and in Alabama and in Missouri. So that's really good news. The vaccines seem to be holding up quite well in terms of preventing serious illness, hospitalization and death. They're not perfect. We have seen people hospitalized with who are fully vaccinated. We've seen people die. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, it will happen. But the other, the other part of the good news is that when you look at the case rates in uh, the UK, Israel, a few other places that got hit with Delta a month ago, they peaked pretty quickly and then they started coming down. Actually, nobody has any idea why that's happened. And so the good news for us may be that we're in for a peak that we're probably not at yet. We may have another few weeks, three, four, five, six weeks of badness with more cases, more hospitalizations. And then if we follow the pattern of other countries, it may start to come down. That means that we may not be in this mask forever predicament. It may be that we just gotta get through the next couple of months, then we can relax things again. And then the question is, for how long, if we can get more and more people vaccinated, maybe for a long time. If not, mm -hmm. then we may be looking at this cycle that plays out over and over and over again. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Over the weekend, our reporter Aaron Alday came out with a story about breakthrough infections at UCSF, where you work, and at SF General Hospital. What did that case study at your own institution say about what's going on with breakthrough cases? What the story accurately reported is we've had a couple of hundred, 250 maybe, uh, infections in our healthcare workers and staff. 
and and the uh, fair number of them were in vaccinated people. Uh, but the vast majority of transmissions, far more than 90, 95%, happened in the community. So they were a doctor mm-hmm. going out with friends for dinner or going home and someone was infected at home. So I, I, I hope they don't scare anybody off from going into the hospital for care. The hospital actually remains an extremely safe place. The second thing is that, yes, the majority happened in vaccinated people, but more than 90% of our people are vaccinated. The, the, you know, it has been said, and I think wisely, if 100% of your people were vaccinated, every case will be in a vaccinated person. So the numbers can make it look like the vaccines aren't working. The vaccines actually are working extremely well. And then the third point is that uh, that very, very few of the vaccinated people who got breakthrough cases got sick. I think we had one person who had to go to the hospital. Maybe one fourth point is when you hear about a couple of hundred cases, it sounds like, wow, that's a lot. Well, we have, when you add up the workforce at Zuckerberg San Francisco General and UCSF Health System and UCSF mm-hmm. in general, it gets to about 40,000 people. So we're the size of a small city and uh, it's still a relatively small fraction of our workforce. Sure. Putting those numbers in context is so important. You know, there's still a lot we don't know about long COVID, for example, or new variants. What would you say to someone who thinks to themselves at this point, well, I'm fully vaccinated, so the chances of me getting hospitalized or dying are slim, why, why should I worry about getting it? Yeah, I can see that. It's an understandable sentiment. But I've made the point for many months that even though I'm fully vaccinated and I'm still and I'm quite confident I'm not going to get sick and die, which feels Mm -hmm. good. It's not how I felt last March. I still don't want to get COVID. And now there are two main reasons. One is even if you're not going to get sick enough to go to the hospital, uh, plenty of people get sick enough so that they regret it. <laughs> they, you know, it's a bad sure. case. They feel crummy for days or weeks. Or, And there was just a study that came out of Israel of cases, breakthrough cases in vaccinated healthcare workers. And at six weeks out, 19% of people still had symptoms. So mm. I don't love those odds. I, you know, the fact that a one in five chance that a month and a half after the infection, I'm still going to have brain fog or headaches or have shortness of breath or a persistent cough or fevers. That that doesn't sound good to me. And so if I can wear a mask when I go into the Safeway or go to the Starbucks and feel protected against that that outcome, a, a case where I feel terrible and maybe develop long COVID, that seems worth it. And the second thing is now this emerging finding that I might get it, maybe not have a terrible case, but then might give it to you know my 90-year-old mother or mm-hmm. a kid I run into who's five years old and hasn't been vaccinated or a patient I'm taking care of who's immunocompromised and got vaccinated, but it hasn't helped. So I think there are two good reasons not to get COVID if you can avoid it. You know, if you get it, it's not the end of the world. If you're vaccinated, you're probably going to do fine. Uh, But if you can avoid it through some simple uh, strategies, including masking indoors, that seems worth it to me. And everything we do at this point seems like a constant risk calculation. And I wonder for you personally, as all these new developments around breakthrough infections and the Delta variant, has that changed your own behavior or are you continuing as you have been cautiously as a fully vaccinated person? Yeah, well, I mean, take it, keep in mind, I'm fully vaccinated, but my vaccines were seven and eight months ago. I was, you mm-hmm. know, I was a healthcare worker taking care of patients. So I was in the first group. So there is a chance based on the data that my immunity is waning a little bit and I'm 63. So I'm 
already going to be a little bit on the careful side. Two months ago, when the case rate was so low in San Francisco, I was beginning to get a little bit less careful than I was. I was, I was dining indoors. I, if I went into a store and I was going to go in for five minutes to grab something and I forgot my mask, it'd be no big deal. I'd go in. And I started traveling a little bit more readily. Where am I today? I'm still going to travel when I need to or really want to. I'm going to wear an N95 for the entire flight and barely take it off. I sadly have stopped indoor dining for the time being. I'm not comfortable being in a in a place around a lot of uh, people with masks off when the virus is as prevalent as it is, when the virus is twice as infectious as the virus uh, you know we dealt with six months ago. Um, and I don't know everybody's vaccination status. So that now does not seem safe to me anymore. So, you know, it's the stuff at the margin. It's sort of universal masking inside. It's actually, I'm wearing double masks inside, a cloth on top of a surgical mask. It is an mm -hmm. N95 on airplanes. It's not taking what feel like unnecessary risks, but not going back to March of April, 2020. I'm not hiding under a table. I still am willing to get on an airplane if I really want to go somewhere mm. for a, for work or for fun. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Wachter, you've been such a voice of reason for many of us during the pandemic. And the recommendations on masking and our understanding of vaccine protection seems to keep changing and will likely change again. How do you think we should think about shifting public health guidelines at this point? There's a lot of frustration, obviously. Yeah, the frustration is completely understandable, as is the confusion. And as I've said to some folks, you know, if you're confused, it means you're awake. It, it, mm. it, you know, the facts have changed. And I think the CDC did not get it right in May when they relaxed the requirements because they didn't get the communication right. But the mm -hmm. idea that because Delta is now a thing and a worse thing than we were dealing with, they should have kept, you know, full masking, full everything, don't relax any of the standards um, at all two months ago. That doesn't sound right either. I mean, you have to sort of deal with the, the facts on the ground, what's happening, you know, how infectious is the virus, how many cases there are. If you think about it, you know, in six weeks ago in, in, in the city of San Francisco, there were 10 cases a day being diagnosed. So, the chances you were going to run into that one of those 10 people in a city of 900,000 was pretty tiny. And so the idea that you could be a little bit more free and do some more things was perfectly reasonable. The facts have changed. and I don't, It's nobody's fault. And so what I've been trying to do is keep up on all of the shape shifting and mm -hmm. then try to put out there sort of how I'm thinking about things after I've processed it. I think I've tried to have a fair amount of humility all along because this was a novel virus. None of us knew anything in, uh, in February of 2020, but I have even more humility now. But with Delta, one of the things that it has taught me is before Delta became a, a dominant uh, force in our life, I would have said, all right, we really understand this virus very well now. It took us a year to figure it out, but we understand how transmissible it is. We understand how well the vaccines work. We understand the rate of breakthroughs. And then when a new finding came out about Delta, it's twice as transmissible. My bias was to say, all right, that's new, that's different, but everything else is the same. And that's, mm. that, that was sort of my mental model. And that's what humans do. You know, we, we sort of, a, we predict from what happened before. And what I've learned with Delta is, is all bets are off, unfortunately. The truths that we came to rely on are probably going to turn out to be true, but maybe not quite. And you have to be mm. open to the possibility that not only is it more infectious, but maybe it's a little bit more serious. No, a vaccinated person can't spread the virus, but with Delta, actually, maybe you can. 
Um, mm-hmm. The vaccines seem to be working great and there's no evidence that immunity is waning. Well, with Delta, maybe a little, and maybe we're gonna need to give boosters to people at high risk. That makes it very difficult to do public health messaging. I don't love happy talk. I don't like the idea that we're gonna tell people that things that are not true in order mm-hmm. to persuade them to get vaccinated or to keep them from getting frantic. I think people can handle the truth and and I think it needs to be dealt with sensitively and thoughtfully and not with hyperbole and to put things in context. But this is a worse virus and a worse situation than the one we were facing two months ago. And it's appropriate to change the ground rules because they because the world has changed. Right. I really like what you said there. It does seem like humility is the key to staying sane and safe through this. Dr. Wachter, thank you very much for talking to us about it. My pleasure. Dr. Bob Wachter is the chair of UCSF's medicine department. You can keep up with his COVID updates on Twitter. He's at Bob underscore Wachter. A very special thanks to Taya Francesca Price for producing this episode and to you for listening. And now for an after show supported by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative on health and wellness in our communities. Welcome. This special after show of Fifth and Mission is the first installment of a three-part series to be released this year and is supported by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Each after show will spotlight vital conversations with community leaders and nonprofit organizations who are removing barriers to help create a more socially, economically, and racially just Bay Area across healthcare, social justice, and housing affordability and homelessness. Please visit sfchronicle.com slash community health. In this first episode about equity and access within our healthcare systems, we'll hear from two inspiring local leaders of community-based organizations in the Bay Area who are providing inclusive, responsive health and wellness services, supporting communities through the pandemic, and creating a lasting model for accessible and equitable health and wellness. Hello, I'm Sharice Morrison, and today we're going to talk about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Not only health inequities and access to COVID-19 testing and vaccinations, but also the shadow side of the pandemic. In March of 2020, when COVID hit, it amplified inequities and created new challenges for Black, Latino, Indigenous, and other communities of color. This has tested and stretched local nonprofits, nonprofit leaders, and their staff who've been on the front lines of the pandemic since the beginning. Community-based organizations are providing inclusive, responsive health services that have supported communities throughout the pandemic, delivering a lasting model for accessible and equitable community health and wellness. We wanted to discuss the challenges of the pandemic today. I'd like to introduce you to two leaders who've spent the last 16 months coordinating COVID-19 responses in some of the hardest hit Bay Area neighborhoods. The first is Lisa Teeler, the executive director of the Bay Area Community Health Advisory Council, a member of the Emoja Health Coalition. And also joining us is Dr. Monique Lassar, the executive director of the Rafiki Coalition. Dr. Monique, let's start by hearing your perspective on what you saw happening in your communities when COVID-19 hit the Bay Area. Sure. So, you know, it's a good 15 months later now. But in retrospect, back in the early COVID days, as we say, we started to be uh, cognizant of what was going on. Department of Public Health was letting us know daily what was happening within the city 
And all of a sudden, um, I was in the situation of making the decision, should I shut down? Should I stay open? What we were starting to see in the city is that you could not get testing anywhere. And so what we were really focused on, you know, we were seeing some of the early work with the Latino task force happening. And we're like, wait, we need to do the same thing for African-Americans. We need asymptomatic testing. We need to know where COVID is. If you remember, you couldn't get a test. And so we were really shifting into that first big piece to get people tested. Lisa, did you want to kind of give us your perspective from where you were at? Absolutely. We've been working uh, very closely with uh, Dr. Kim Rhodes and Dr. Kala Mehta around this whole concept of unity and oneness in the community. So I wanted to give a shout out to them. As Dr. Monique mentioned, you know, trying to get a test was unheard of. It was sort of, you know, the first responders and other folks were getting tested. Um, but the folks that also really needed to be tested were not being tested. We just, you know, we just tried to do, do whatever we could. And then it was finally like, OK, let's come up with a strategy, because as we know, when people get fearful and anxiety levels uh, go up, if they're not getting information, they will fill in the blanks themselves. And even amongst that, we had to, we were up against all of the, as I call it, really healthy distrust of the medical institution, healthy distrust of the news. Because if you think about it, all of the testing, all of the the ways that the African-American and other people of color have been um, uh, malpracticed upon and killed through the medical institution over the years, if you recall, all of the parts of the the medical institution that we know today came about it, during the Industrial Revolution, during the, you know, the really the height of enslavement. And so these systems were not designed for black people to be healthy and did not designed for black people at all. We were we were not even seen as as human. And so in that sense, we have all of these histories and herstories and arstories of distrust. And so how do we really deal with all of that? So tell us, how have your organizations responded? At that point, we were holding a lot of town halls. And then at the same time, we were battling uh, food insecurity, uh, mental health challenges, and the rabid anti-Blackness that was coming down by um, murder by cop. Mm-hmm. Yep. We just tried to do whatever we could to help people. Those first few weeks was like, who needs what? And so we were trying to be very cognizant of making sure, you know, working with our health care providers and the public health and the county, making sure we're providing timely and accurate information about, you know, testing, where to go for information, where to get services. You know, people were like, okay, my the restaurant I was working at is now closed. What do I do for feeding my family, keeping a roof over my head? Um, you know, those kind of practical things. One of the things that was really phenomenal in San Francisco is the way that everybody pulled together. And so I really give the Human Rights Commission and now uh, Dr. Director uh, Cheryl Evans-Davis for that because she brought us all together in this roundtable format that really helped us organize. Yep. One of the things that came out of all of this is that, uh, you know, we we are still popping. So, you know, we do um, two days of vaccination right now 
uh, five days, sometimes six of testing rove and then another day of roving vaccinations and then six days of outreach. And that's just my my regular team. You know, Rafiki has a lot of other stuff that we do every day as well. So what do you see is needed for the future as we continue to address COVID-19's impacts? You know, again, as Dr. Monique mentioned, this virus, vaccination, education and access, the testing, testing is still important. We've got to continue to to test people. Um, Obviously, the self-care, the physicals, the screenings, you know, the blood pressure, blood sugar, the mammograms, the prostate, the colonoscopies. We haven't we we didn't do enough before. And now we're just we're like minus 20. You know, we know that getting vaccinated is the the best prevention in most cases that we know from preventing um, really severe illness and death and dying. Um, Although we've certainly seen breakthroughs of vaccinated people dying um, and getting very ill with this new Delta variant. We do still know that that's that that the vaccine is the best public health measure, best public prevention measure that we have right now. And yet, if the folks are not able to do that because they they are not feeling that they trust and they're not feeling comfortable, then they have then they need to be given both respect and then also um, the messages around social distancing. And so we need as a state um, and definitely as a Bay Area, we need to pull back on the opening a bit mm-hmm. um, and and pull back in that sense. I'll just say this in terms of just stats, just to make, you know, kind of bring this home a little bit. San Mateo County looks great. We're at like 88, 89 percent, 12 plus. But when you start looking at certain communities, uh, we've only vaccinated 50 percent of our Latinx community, uh, only 57 percent for our Black and Pacific Islander community. And those numbers are always big, right? They're always like, oh, we're at 89 percent or we're at this. But then when you start looking at the data and looking at those graphs, you start seeing, well, yeah, you might be at 89 percent, but you've only reached half of the Latinx population, which is a problem because on the surface it might look good or it looks reasonable. But when you start digging down, you start figuring it out. I think what has finally worked is that we are finally, as you said, you know, it takes the village to save the village, takes the hood to save the hood Mm -hmm. um, and or nothing, um, nothing for us without us. Right. Well, I'm going to say that for for Rafiki, for us right now, the top priorities are dealing with this COVID-19 new variant, Delta at this point, mental health. And I will also say that I have to make sure that my staff gets some rest mm-hmm. and that I get some rest. I'm saying this year, so I'm holding myself accountable. <laughs> <laughs> and the because... self-care starts with you, Missy. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But we need to move beyond that. Um, and really um, think about what what is wellness for for our team. Yeah. Um, and that goes back to all the other things that we talked about, um, because if we can't take care of ourselves and do that oxygen mask, then mm-hmm. we stress back yep. after a year and a half can't continue. On if this, you sick, you can't take care of anybody that's sick. No, yeah. we have to we have to have it as a as a as a marathon because we can't keep sprinting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Thank you so much. 
As of summer 2021, the systemic problems of a still very broken societal system are glaring to those who are doing the work every day. As both Lisa and Dr. Monique continue to push for solutions, find balance in stress relief, resources and community cohesiveness, and bringing health equity to all neighborhoods, we hope that their experiences and stories impact you in a meaningful way. Based in San Francisco, California, the Rafiki Coalition has used its decades of experience delivering health and wellness services to the city's Black and African American communities to respond to the pandemic. The Bay Area Community Health Advisory Council is committed to increasing awareness and reducing the debilitating effects of health concerns that disproportionately affect communities of color. As you heard, it's not easy to be able to respond faster, better, and with strong teams while also fighting for additional help for amplified mental health issues, for support for substance abuse relapses, to affect needed social change and get access to the ongoing need for resources. Please visit sfchronicle.com slash community health. You've been listening to Lisa Teeler and Dr. Monique Lassar. I'm Sharice Morrison. This podcast is in partnership with the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and the Hearst Story Studio, recorded at Skyline Studios in Oakland, California.